What's shaking, everybody? Welcome back to the Golf Guide Podcast. Got a very fun episode this week, uh, bringing, bringing back my good buddy Chris Durr, who uh, has been a guest on this podcast several times, uh, although we have not had a chance to, uh, to talk golf on this feed for pff, almost a year now. I think it was last fall, maybe last September, uh, the last time Chris was on the podcast, so very, very excited to have him back. Fun conversation, uh, immensely unstructured. We, we just hit the record button, and we just went wherever... Uh, Wherever the winds took us, so uh, very very fun. Uh, always great catching up with Chris. He's a really really good dude, and uh, the guy might even love golf more than I do, which uh, is pretty impressive and uh, and just commendable. So good for Chris. Fun conversation here. Today's podcast is pre- is presented, excuse me, to you by the Sea Winds Estate up in coastal Oregon, uh, a, a chateau of sorts that you can rent out uh, on the Oregon coast, not far from Bandon. So. Uh, we'll have a read for that later in the podcast, but uh, they are today's presenting sponsor. And so with that, let's get to my conversation with Chris here on the Golf Guide Podcast. All right, we're back with one Christopher Durr, friend of the podcast, friend in real life, you know, curator and founder of No Gimmies. And uh, Chris, we were just getting caught up right before we started uh, recording, my man. And uh, you were going to kind of break down, giving me an update on what's going on with No Gimmies yourself. And uh, I was like, I think we got to stop. I, I-, I want to record this. I want to put it on the podcast. So pick up right where you left off, brother. What's uh, What's new with you? Absolutely, man. First things first, thank you for having me on. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm like shaking the cobwebs off literally of my microphone. So I had to find it all and make sure that it still worked but yep. um yeah it's a pleasure as always to be back on talking to you my man i miss you, you. so i'm excited to to be talking to you again but yeah no gimmies is kind of shifted a little bit for me um my my real job has kind of taken a lot of my time uh and i still love to play golf obviously but i just don't have the time it seems like to do podcasts or i, ch- I chose not to devote as much time to the podcasting as i as i did before so i've, I've kind of shifted uh no gimmies into a little bit of like a community-based thing because San Diego has the advantage of like 360 days a year of sun, you know, so there's a lot of golfers. There's a lot of people who play golf, but it seems to me that the general golfing population is not as educated on the things that I care about in the golfing world, which would be, I mean, golf course architecture, good golf courses, like the correct way to play, just little things like that. You know, it seems like there's a lot more people that are casually out here drinking beers and playing golf, which is not a bad thing. You know, it's a great thing. I'm all here for that as well. Yeah. But uh, but I don't know. I've kind of shifted no gimmies into like a, a way to bring like-minded golfers in the greater San Diego area together. Um, and the number one ways we do that is I host a weekly skins game uh, every Wednesday. We're actually going out later this afternoon. Yeah. Every Wednesday we'll get a skins game going of, of varying handicaps. I mean, we have guys that literally started playing golf six months ago that play. And then, I mean, when the guy, when Tyler, who I used to caddy for on the Latin America tour, when he's in town, he'll play. Um, obviously it's handicapped. Obviously we split tees up. Obviously we give everybody a fair shake, but it's just like, we just go around and try to get like 12 to 16 guys, um, just get like a friendly skins game going and just kind of catch up banter and try to play good golf courses. We take field trips, you know, we'll go, we tried to go to Rams Hill this year, which is a great course out in Borrego. Love that. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of turned into way more of a community thing. And, and, uh, it's become something where a lot of San Diego golfers can kind of, meet new people to play golf with and also kind of branch out and do their own things. And it's been cool to see because there's 
a lot of my buddies who have a picked up golf in the last year and then b just it seems like every day i'll get text messages or see stuff on instagram of like friends and fr- friends of friends playing together you know that i know connected through no sure. gimmies which is like a it's like very satisfying to see yeah that's awesome and now is the no gimme skins game is this a uh a, a buy invitation only affair uh, no, actually. So if you go to nogimmies.io right now, you can sign up for the weekly email uh, just right there on the home screen. It just says right there. It kind of gives a one paragraph outline of everything I just said, basically. Uh, and there's a place to enter your email and you can get the weekly email and the weekly. There's two emails that go out a week. Basically, it's like one that is in uh, a recap of what happened last week and a sign up for next week. And then the second email is always like tea times and pairings for the following week. And so you get one probably like every Thursday and every Sunday I try to send them out. Okay. Um, and we got, dude, we got people from Orange County coming down. I have a couple of my friends in college from college that uh, live in Orange County, Huntington Beach, Laguna Beach area. They probably come down for one game a month. We try to go up to like uh, San Clemente, playing San Clemente Muni or Goat Hill, which is in Oceanside, which is kind of like an hour from us down yep. here in San Diego and about an hour from the OC Cats as well. So we kind of just try to give you know, just try to give everybody an option to, to come down and play and, and just meet people that are, you know, addicted to the game as well. Dude, I love that. So for all of you uh, Orange County listeners out there, and I know, I know many of you, this I'm jealous that you guys actually are close enough to Mr. Dirt to actually go get get some Wednesday night skins in. This is, this is fantastic. Where, 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 where are you guys playing most in. often? Oh, okay. So the goal of the game was to play a different course every week. Oh, love So okay. the San Diego County has... Oh, man, I can't, I'm not going to remember the exact number, but I think San Diego County has 93 golf courses, 57 of which are public. That's so, so awesome. yeah, it, you have we have quite a bit of options. So it's been going on. We've had six weeks of games now, and we haven't repeated a course yet. Uh, this Hell week yeah. we're playing a course out in Hamul called Steel Canyon. Okay. Uh, last week we played Barona, but we've done Benita, Goat Hill. Uh, they did a field trip and did San Clemente Muni. I unfortunately did not make that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but my buddy Brian Turley, who has been on the podcast multiple times, kind yeah. of uh, headed that game um, and took eight guys up there. And they played and, and had a blast and said it was incredible. So, I mean, we're just kind of going all around and just trying. the go- I mean, ideally, in a perfect world, we'd play all 57 golf courses in 57 weeks, right? That That is ambitious, but also commendable and just, just such a, just an awesome concept, man. I, I absolutely love it. Now, just I, unfortunately, I have so like I'm embarrassed at how little experience I have in terms of playing golf in like San Diego and Orange County. But San Clemente Muni is one of the few that I have played. I got to play it last year. I loved it, like absolutely loved. It. Even from a, like an like an architecture nerd standpoint, I was really impressed with that golf course. So I'm glad to hear you guys made. It. Have you had a chance to play that place yet? I haven't yet. Okay. I'm trying to get up there. I want to do a little low-key LA trip next week. My 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 days off are, excuse me, my days off are Wednesday and Thursday. So I want to go up to LA and play Rustic Canyon, mm-hmm. which I've only had the chance to play one time. Uh, but I want to do like a little two-day overnighter, find a camp spot somewhere, um, sleep on the ground, make well, some food, and like play golf a couple days. We so may, we may have to coordinate. List. I, so I, I'm just going to throw us right here, right out on the podcast for everybody to hear it. So anybody that's listening, you're the ones that's privy to it. You're, you're, we are we are of the same mind, my friend. I have been wanting to, because I haven't been to any of them, I want to try to put together like a long weekend where like, you know, basically like book out like a cheap hotel or not necessarily a cheap hotel, but like a nice, but like, you know, cheaper motel. Somewhere maybe Motel 6. Yeah, like somewhere in like maybe like an Ojai or somewhere in like Ventura. And I want to do like a weekend where we hit Rustic, Soul Park, and um, not uh, not and Olivas. 
I, w- I want to do like a tribe, like a tri- like a long weekend where we hit them all up. Maybe even two days. Maybe we play thirty six one day. Or but like, I want like just get a huge group of guys together and just because all three are supposed to be incredible. Like from an architecture standpoint, and also just in terms of just sheer beauty and just fun to play. I've heard nothing but good things about all those spots. And so I want to get like maybe like pull like our buddies together and get like a I mean, maybe like a fun like you know scramble kind of like. Uh, I don't know, like, not a tournament, but, you know, like a big old skins game for the weekend and just get, you know, get to, I mean. All right. Uh, after a, a brief, uh, you know, technological uh, mishap, uh, not 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 at the fault of, of you or me. Um, I Where were we at, my man? Were we talking about some, arranging some sort of kick-ass golf vacation for our, us and our buddies down in Ventura County when this, uh, when this virus ends? We were. We were talking about uh, potentially doing a Southern California golf guide versus no gimme's little Ryder cup tournament, maybe mm-hmm. eight, 12 guys, something like that. Six like V six or four V four. I think that'd be very fun. I like that. The only thing you mentioned soul park, uh, rustic Canyon. And then the fourth, the third one, I don't remember. Olivas. I think it was, Olivas uh, links. I don't know anything about that one, but I think soul park is kind of a trek. I want to say it's like more than an hour drive from that place. Yeah. It's in Ohio. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's up there. It's up there. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we can stay in Ohio. But yeah, those courses are so high on my hit list. And I'm, I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to hit them all individually. And I have no problem. Like, I, I personally like camping. So I'm like trying to find like campsites that are close by yeah. where I can just like sleep in my car or something and just like go play them just to see what they're about, dude. I have a couple days off, do a little weekender, go loop them twice. Um, but Soul Park is so high on my hit list because a lot of my buddies that live in L.A. drive up there and say it's just out of this world good. You know, maybe maybe I've been wrong, and you are the one that's been right all along. Where maybe the move is for all of us for our big Ryder Cup weekend that we all camp, that we all just make like a, like isn't it that company Lion Loft does that over at like Tobacco Road like once a year where they have a big like camping trip for exactly. like where everybody camps out on the golf course and they go play like maybe maybe, maybe that's what we need to do. I love camping, frankly. Like, I do it as often as I can. So the idea of sleeping on the ground and then playing golf the next day is so fun. Uh, I'm all in on that. And then, dude, okay, like. Yeah, I guess I guess we need to find like some kind of an established campground. But dude, just being outside, I'm fine with that. There's a lot of good campsites. We can probably get somewhat near the beach too. I mean, like we got, Absolutely. we can be close to, we can be close to Big Blue over there. And well, we can have a, o- Olivas is actually pretty close to the coast. Like I don't think it's directly on the coast. Yeah. Um, but it's I, I think that it's uh I think it's two Kemper courses are right there back to back. I think it's Olivas Links and another place called Buenaventura. Um, okay. But the, the reason, you know, the, the reason that I keep coming back to that one, along with Rustic and Soul Park, is uh, I'm sure you probably read it, but um, Garrett Morrison of the Fried Egg wrote yes. an article for us in this year's Golf Guide magazine, kind of identifying like his best places to visit for like golf architecture fans that might be on a budget. And yes. he was like, my number one place in the entire Western United States would be Ventura County. One because Rustic Canyon's so good, Soul Park is so good, and these other two courses are really, really good. Maybe not quite on the same level as Rustic and Soul Park. But I mean, like Rustic Canyon and Soul Park, they're both Gilhans courses that are open to the public that are cheaper than fifty bucks. Like, where where else are you going to find that? And then Forrest Richardson did Olivas Links, who is a fantastic architect. He recently just redid the Palo Alto course up here. They call Baylands now. Um, I've that, heard nothing but great things about Baylands yeah, so too. That was Forrest Richardson as well. Um, and it's just supposed to be just tits, dude. It's supposed they're, they're all supposed to be awesome. Like, well, where else are we going to go? Like, it seems like the perfect place to congregate with some buddies. Again, do some camping, some hanging out for like a night or two play some really good golf that you don't have to really open up the checkbook for. It just it, it sounds kind of perfect, and you, my friend, seem like just the perfect gentleman to engage in such an activity with. I, okay, yeah, I would love to <laughs> okay. I would love to spearhead that, dude. I appreciate that. I, yeah, I like that's, – that's my bread and butter, dude. I like, I like, I like hosting. Yeah, I have my, my job currently 
what I'm working full time in essentially revolves around hosting a large two day event every week. So it's become very second nature for me. And, and I just genuinely like people. So I like getting people together. I like hanging out with people. I like playing golf with people. I like drinking beers with people. Like, like I'm, I'm all in to hang out with people. So I don't know, anyway, dude. You've, you've always seemed like a pretty grumpy guy to me. You seem like a real, like a real grouch. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I said I like hanging out with people. I don't know if people like hanging out with me. <laughs> Christopher Wet Blanket Durr. <laughs> Unbelievable. Actually, okay, so real quick. So uh, obviously, like before, you know, when, when you were still living up in San Francisco, I know you're, you're obviously a, a golf professional at Presidio, um, playing a lot of golf, doing your golf podcast and everything. Just real quick. So when you move back down to San Diego, you're obviously hosting a, a big two-day party every week. But what... Uh, what exactly are you doing again? For I, I, I kind of know, but for anybody that's listening, that's kind of been missing you on the on the golf scene. What's uh, what's been occupying most of your time? So I manage a large outdoor swap meet uh, down here in Sp- in Spring Valley, California. Okay, which is like southeast county of San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a two day event. We have a bunch of vendors come out that range from anything from people selling stuff out of their garage to uh, people making like handmade belts out of leather to like i mean just you name it people sell it um we have a huge farmer's market area we have like over 100 spaces of people that sell fresh produce that are all just local farmers that come out and bring their stuff uh we have a lot of food trucks that come through but yeah it's every saturday sunday from 7 a.m to 3 um anybody can come out and sell we we have like a third of our spaces like blocked off so that they're sold on a like same day basis so if you've got a bunch of stuff in your garage that you're trying to get rid of or you're moving or things like that, you can come out, buy a space for 20 bucks, and like clear out your garage. Um, and it's great. It's a family business, fourth generation. So uh, awesome. it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, honestly. It's been, it's occupied quite a bit of my time, um, but it's been very satisfying to do. And it's nice to help out the parents too, frankly. No, for sure. And on top of that, like any, any job where you get to act just, in, you know, interact with tons of different people all the time, that's... That, that, I like that. I know it's right up your wheel. So that 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 seems kind of perfect for you. I guess the, the follow up that I have, and I'm sure this is probably the question on every one of our listeners' minds right now, is how often do you get guys out there trying to clear all their golf clubs out of their garage, coming up and setting up a, a small, you know, I, I'm not even going to say a golf mart or a Roger Dunn. Like, let's go. Like, is anybody, you know, setting up shop as like a low key Nevada Bob's out there, just just trying to pedal pedal old golf clubs? Absolutely, yes. dude. So I bought. How about this, dude? I so there was. Uh... There was a gentleman who had a U-Haul and uh, bought a storage unit. Like when you know, like sometimes people will abandon. Oh, you've seen Storage Wars, right? Like you know yeah, what I'm talking about. There's yeah. auctions. So this guy had a U-Haul and he cleared out a storage unit. Um, and so I was just like, he. We have special U-Haul spaces. That's always where you can kind of find the best stuff. And I was just talking to the guy who bought the U-Haul space, and I was just like, hey, like, do you have a any golf clubs in there? Like, was there anything in the storage unit? He's like, yeah, actually, there was. It was just this bag. Like, here, take a peek at it. And I was like, okay. Uh, this was probably a year and a half ago in the golf bag, four iron through pitching wedge, Mizuno MP 18 SCs with, uh, Nippon like modus shafts in them. Get and I was like, dude, how much do you want for the, how much do you want for these dude? Like barely been hit. Like they looked like mint. I was like, what do you want for them? And he's like a hundred bucks. And I was like, deal. So I got, I'm literally gaming swap meet irons right now. And, uh, it's the fucking dream. Dude, it was incredible. And then like probably six months ago, I bought a set of, uh, Palmer peerless irons, like the old, like the first generation uh, Arnold Palmer blades. I bought a one iron through gap wedge. It was like whatever, 11 clubs or something insane. And those are just sitting in my garage right now. And I'm like, yeah, there's, there's plenty of guys that sell golf clubs. Um, 
there's a gentleman by the name of David Bronstein who runs a company called Purchase and Resell, acronym PAR, uh, and he just buys and slangs golf clubs, and he's come out a few times. He's not really consistent, but you can interact with him on Instagram, um, let him know that I sent you or whatever, but he just has an, essentially a warehouse full of golf clubs ranging from new to old that he's just offloading, and he'll come out yeah, probably like four, four times a year, like once a quarter he'll come out and just like just get rid of a bunch of clubs. So and uh, a bunch of my buddies, like I mentioned earlier, that were getting into golf that have just gotten into it in the last year. A lot of them are gaming swap meet clubs as well, where like somebody will be selling an old club or like a hoofer bag from like 1990. Uh, and I'll just like I just kind of kit them out. They'll be like, here, Chris, here's here's a hundred bucks. Like, get me a set that I can start playing with. And I'm like, all right. And that'll be like a project for a month where I just walk around and try to set my buddies up with clubs. And it's been very fun. Dude, I, at this exact moment, as I sit here in this chair, talking to you, listening to your swap meet golf stories, my golf boner is just exceptionally hard right now. It, it is so firm. I, I, I don't, I almost feel uncomfortable making the eye contact that I am with you via our zoom call. It, it that is so awesome. Like I, 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 the best putter that I ever bought was at a garage sale. So not not swap me, but I mean an oil can finish Scotty Cameron Newport two, like I think it was ten dollars, and then I'm just thinking like man, imagine if there's just ten of those back to back to back, just swap meet golf, just oh, what a, what a beautiful thing. I, I you find them a lot. I bought a I bought Zach Johnson Seymour putter, like not specifically his one. I don't know what the model <laughs> is, but there was like there was <laughs> didn't have his Seymour... initials on it. Yeah, exactly. Didn't have his initials on it, but like that Seymour putter, and I gave it to a bet. I gave it to a buddy. It was like fifteen bucks. The guy was like, he obviously knew what he had, but didn't want it anymore. And he was like, yeah, I'm just getting rid of it for fifteen bucks. I was like, for sure. And Seymour putters are like three hundred fifty bucks. And yeah, I gave it nice. to one of my buddies in uh, in Tijuana, a guy by the name of Gabriel, and he still games it. He's ga- he's been gaming it for like two years now, and he's just like, yeah, it's it's a great putter. Dude, that is incredible. Oh man, yeah. I mean, it, I, it... I still have yet to find. I have yet to find a Scotty Cameron. There haven't mm-hmm. been any Scotties yet. Uh, and I haven't found like a good driver, but like irons, wedges, dude, Vokies come around all the time, like SM fives or SM fours, like Vokies are all over the place, man. You can find Vokies. Uh, and then surprisingly ping answers, a lot of ping answers. Okay. I got an old ping zing too. I bought like a ping zing too. Yeah. Dude, just like one of the old school ones. Um, that's down in the, it's out in the garage right now. I mean, so yeah, I don't know. It's, I'm. Um, it's a problem because I can't say no, no to those golf no, clubs. No, when don't I ever see say it's a problem. That 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 is that is the healthiest of golf addictions, man. Like you think about what you're doing, and like maybe you're spending a couple hundred, you know, a couple hundred bucks a year, but you're buying really sweet vintage stuff that's like really fun. I mean, you could yeah. be the guy. You could be the guy that's replacing his bag and spending four thousand bucks a year, you know, on on stuff that's probably he's going to replace, you know, twelve months later. So it, it's of all the golf addictions, like equipment addictions, I think you actually may have one of the healthiest ones. That's what I've been standing on. I've been dying on this hill lately, too, with all my buddies, like I said, who are picking up the game. I'm just I'm like hugely advocating buying used clubs. It's like, listen, 100 percent, 100 percent. These golf companies are coming out with new clubs every year. And obviously, like, you know, good for them. They need to and good for the people that buy it because they have the new new shiny toy, which is great. You know, like I'm, I'm not there to to speak bad on that. But like at the end of the day, dude, like you can buy awesome used clubs for like almost half the price sometimes even more than half off and it's like dude if you're just picking up the game like there's no reason you should be buying like a brand new sim for 500 bucks you know no and i i i don't know if you had a chance so i I met a guy last year named danny uh who's become a good friend of mine um he used to be a master club fitter at golf mart in los angeles he actually came on the podcast earlier this year um because he works for travis matthew now but he you know he's a master club fitter is like you know a equipment junkie and, you know, trying to talk about clubs for like, you know, golfers like, you know, like myself that are maybe, you know, in like the, the, the five to nine range, 
you know, golfers like yourself that are a little closer to scratch and then people that are, you know, just picking up the game. And I'm like, how far back do I need to go before there's more than like a 5% difference in the quality of like the clubs, like being now, like how far back do I have to go before there's a noticeable difference? He's like, honestly, man, you could buy anything from the last seven or eight years and it's going to be 95% as good as what you're getting right now. And I was like, exactly. So like for, for a new guy, it's like, dude, go buy something five years old. You're going to be paying five to ten percent of it was when it's brand new, and you're going to be getting ninety five percent of the performance. Like, what? Why would you ever buy a new golf club if you're starting out? That's, I mean, dude, that's great to hear him say because I've never been able to put like my thumb on what it is, and I've had that same question asked to me many times. Like, oh, how far back can I go? And I'm like, I, dude, I don't know, man. I really, I really don't know. But that's good to hear him say. I might recommend that podcast to some buddies then, so they can take yeah. a peek at it and just hear what he has to say. Because yeah, it's. I mean, if you're like you said, if you're only sacrificing five percent of performance and saving like 50 to 60 percent on cost dude that seems like a no-brainer right yeah, absolute no-brainer um all right speaking of which, if you know let's let, let's talk a little bit more about these mizuno mp18s because that not only do they just sound savory uh I, I gotta ask i mean how how is your golf game right now i mean I, obviously you're busy you got wednesdays off you know you got thursdays off playing skins game on wednesdays but the last time i saw you and, and actually i think you i saw you post a, a swing video on the on the social medias not long ago and the swing is looking very good very very good so then i ask you how 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 is the game in in general it's okay uh, it's ne- <laughs> uh, okay it's never where you want it to be right like no one's ever happy with their golf game um, in fact uh i played in a qualifier for the california amateur yesterday okay and i shot even on the front nine i hit eight greens my only bogey came from the one green i missed and i two putted literally everything i had 18 putts on the front nine um Made, reached a par five and two, two putted for birdie. So it was like my putting's just been bad. And then I made a really good putt on 10 for par, like a good 10-footer. And then I did the classic, like, there we go. Putter's heating up, baby. Let's go get this thing. Proceeded to pump two OB on 11 and 13 <laughs> and shot 42 on the back nine and didn't even sniff making it. Uh, so, yeah, it, I, I, I honestly, my ball striking has never been better. I've been riding a very high with my ball like i've been riding a high with my ball striking for like a year and a half now like literally never been hitting it further never been hitting it better and uh like i i can't buy putts <laughs> you literally cannot buy putts at all dude like i li- I'm, I'm not so much that i'm missing short putts because like i'll i'll two putt like i'll two putt my way around a golf course all day but like if i have 12 feet for birdie it's for sure not going in <laughs> <laughs> Oh God damn it! I wish it w- I wish I didn't hit home so hard. You know, I I really I really. So I, I was trying to think. Like um, I, I can't remember. Where I just heard. I haven't actually listened to the full podcast. But um, are, have you been listening to the the No Laying Up Guys podcast? Like with with a great frequency. Like as of late. Yes. So yeah, absolutely. I, I can't remember who their guest was. They had on yesterday, but I saw an extra from it on social media being awarded. Their guest was like, "I'm just so impressed with how confident Tiger Woods is in his putting." And then, like, you know, he like had a quote with us where if I have a, per- a birdie putt inside, you know, 30 feet all day, if I, if I just give myself a birdie putt inside 30 feet on every hole, I know I'm making at least six. I know I'm going to not I'm not going to three putt. And he's like, and so, like, I know I'm going to shoot six under par. And I'm going to shoot 24 under for a tournament and I'm going to win by 10 strokes. And I, again, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, you know, what this guy's story was, but I was just like. The fucking audacity of a man to just assume he's gonna make, you know, six out of eighteen, like twenty-five footers, like that is absurd. Like that's terrifying. Absurd. Dude. That's terrifying. Like ah, oh. and, and and I have another buddy. So uh, a friend of mine, Keel, who's actually 
been on this podcast before despite not having played a lot of golf because we had him on one time as a you know bring bring a beginner on to ask you know stupid questions that like maybe a lot of people are wondering but just don't have a platform to ask somebody like us who who might know a lot um and he was kind of asking me because he's you know he started picking up the game a lot more he's trying to play like multiple times a week even though he didn't even really start playing until maybe eight months ago and he's like dude i just the putting man if i can get the putting figured out like i'm i'm gonna do it and he's like and he was explaining to me like these three different things that three different people have told him about like how to putt. And I'm just thinking to myself like, I guess that's true. I guess that yeah, maybe. But like, you kind of have to choose one. But then, then I told I had to fully just disc- <laughs> I'm the fucking worst person in the world because I have like I rotate between putter grips. Is, is that as a golf professional or somebody who has has been a golf professional? I, is it bad that I have like two different putter grips that I'll go back and forth between that I whenever I play, I get to the course, I try to roll putts for twenty minutes, I test them both out, and whatever feels better, that's what I take with me to the first hole? I think that's better than switching your putter every round. Yeah, a lot of people do that, huh? A lot of people do that. I think I would rather you switch the grip around than switch the putter, because it's like that classic thing, if you have two putters, do you do you even have one? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but like if you've it, like if you've got one putter that you like to use but you're just switching the grip then that's fine dude go for it i play with a guy who's a very good player collegiate player like just stud very very good player mm-hmm. and like he has a new putting grip every time i play with him too he'll go and like he'll change it mid-round dude like i i saw we played a little a golf course in the area called Sounds Mission like my Trails. yeah he's the man <laughs> it's there's a course in the area called mission trails where phil actually just played for father's day which yep. is hilarious uh, awesome it's Dude, it's literally like fifty-seven hundred yards from the tip. You can go tips. You can go out there and just like burn the place to the ground. It's just, very fun. Just fully send it. I like. Yeah, it. exactly. It's awesome. Like a lot of drivable par fours. A lot of like a lot of par threes. The part like it's just it's a very like fun golf course, you know. And we played with him, and he shot like sixty-eight or sixty-seven when we played together. And I swear to God, he had like he putted with the clock. He putted left hand low. He putted regular. Like he did all of them throughout the course of the round. Made some putts, missed some putts, but it was just like. <laughs> I was just hilarious. I was teasing him the whole time. Like, what are you doing? Just stick to one, dude. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm feeling the claw on this one. And I'm like, what, do you, what does that mean exactly? Like, what does it mean to feel the claw all of a sudden? I mean, in his defense, like, I've actually been in parts where, like, my putting has just been such a disaster that I'm like, all right, for lag putts over, like, 30-ish feet, like, I really like a regular grip. But anything inside 12 feet, I feel a little bit more confident going left-hand low. And I, in hindsight, like, it wasn't a great place to be in. But at the time, it made perfect sense. And I... I, I, I don't know. It's just, again, going back to my buddy Keel, you know, he was talking about, hey, yeah, you know, someone was telling me that, you know, everything gets controlled with the back of your left hand. You know, when, when you're putting, just try to think your brain is in the back of your left hand and that controls everything. And I thought to myself, you know, when I put left hand low, that's absolutely what I do. But if I have a regular grip, I don't do that. Now, somebody that knows way more than me, is that, it, am I off base here? When I was putting my best, uh, like five years ago, I had a pretty substantial forward press and I felt a lot of it in the back of my left hand. For sure. I just felt like the back of my left hand never left the line. No. You know, like just it was just always back through the line and then th- uh, like back on the line and then through on the line. So mm-hmm. I think Keel should run with that idea if he's not scared of getting a little forward press and having yeah. the face look a little opened at impact. But if he's one of those guys that likes like squared up squared up like he wants everything to be really really square that might not be the best move but if he's down to get the fill forward press going then yeah run with that idea yeah i mean the forward press i you know I, i've gone back and forth with it. I, it does seem like i can keep my putter on that string on that line a little bit better when i use the forward press but it also seems like my best putting days 
it happened to me when I'm not doing a forward press. So it, it's really weird because it does feel so much more comfortable. I uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a huge advocate of the forward press. If I don't forward press it, dude, I literally feel like uh, my right hand gets too active, and and then all of a sudden. God only knows where that ball's going. Yeah. Actually, that being I... said, though, dude, I suck at putting. I had 35 <laughs> putts a couple days ago, so like I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I, I guess one thing I've never really thought about with the forward press, if the standard loft of a putter is about four, four and a half degrees, if, you, if you're going to a forward press, does that actually mean that it's inverse and it's even like steeper and you're actually just hitting the ball with the top of the face of the putter? Like, how, how do like the, the, the physics of like the forward press work? Okay, so I don't know how the physics of it work, but a great example of someone to look at is Aaron Baddeley. Okay. So go watch Aaron Baddeley putt, and what he does is he forward presses quite a bit. He has his ball set up on his left toe, like his left big toe, it looks like. And on the way back, everything looks good, but then on the way through, it almost looks like his left hand comes, like, vertical. It's almost like he's going vertically, like, it's really bizarre, but like there's thousands of videos of Aaron Baddeley putting and he was always touted as one of the best putters in the world, you know, for, hmm. forever still is. Um, and so it's weird to see, like, I guess he's at, and uh, I guess he's adding the loft back, right? He's got the ball forward and the hands forward so that it's probably at zero. And then as he comes through the hitting area, the putter's almost moving vertically, like up and away. So it's kind of like promoting a role and then also probably adding just a, little bit of loft mm-hmm. once again like i don't i don't know the physics of it very well and that's probably why i miss putts but he's a really good way and like a really good example of someone to look at that is kind of doing like working really being kind of dynamic with their loft i guess in yeah. on a putt well i mean the, 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 again the same buddy keel when i was talking to him about his putting the other day it's i was trying to explain i was like listen man like some of the best putters are actually like putting spin and like doing stuff just like you were talking about aaron battle like kind of coming up you know, on the ball like, at, at contact with this putter. Like, I mean, Ben Crenshaw, notoriously, like, I'm not even sure if he did it consciously or if it was subconsciously, but, like, Ben Crenshaw would put spin on his putts. Like, he, he'd line stuff up, and he'd be hitting stuff with an inside-out or outside-in motion, trying to get the ball to spin in a way that would actually get it to break the way he wanted. It's, like, it's crazy to me. And, you know, and then on top of that, and this is actually an, another question, because like, now, now I'm just picking your brain about swing mechanics when you already say that you don't, you know, you're not getting to play nearly as much golf as you used to, but, hey, you know, here we are. Um... When you're when you're putting, and say you have like you know something around a twenty footer, are you actually like measuring it out to see how far your putt is, and then using that calculation to determine how far you bring your putter back, or do you pretty much just look at the hole and just go pretty much off feel? Because it's two very different schools. Because that buddy who's learning, he's so technical, he like is trying to think through everything. He's like, all right, I've my dad does the same thing. He's like, I have twenty eight feet. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything to me. That yeah. means absolutely nothing to me. Like I, no, nothing to me either. Okay. I, have, I the distance of a putt to me is is nothing. I'm totally 100% feel as far as how far I bring it back and how far I go through. Same. Um, I do. I mean, I, I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast has heard Tiger talk about how he puts and how his dad taught him to putt, or he taught him to putt to the picture. Um, and that's. I, I mean, I remember I hearing about it, but I actually don't recall the story that clearly. Oh, so like, okay, just picture like a just putt to a gate essentially. So like, if you have Let's make it let's make it easy, right? So if you're a right-handed putter and you have give or take a 20-foot putt that breaks let's say 6 inches right to left. So what Tiger would do is he'd find like the highest point on the break. So like where is the ball going to actually start turning to go into the hole? And then he would just like put a couple like checkpoints basically off that point. So he's putting to that gate 
that is essentially the high point of the break. Mm-hmm. And then he'll look and be like, okay, like I want to go just inside that pitch mark that's six feet away from my ball. So then he's looking, puts the putter down, looks at the pitch mark, looks at the high point of the break, looks back at the pitch mark, looks at his ball, and then goes. And then so he's like putting through that gate, like over the first pitch mark, then through so the gate. Damn and smart. then. Yeah, and then once it gets through the gate, whatever, let's say it's a 20-foot putt and the gate is at 17 feet, you know, whatever, numbers, doesn't matter. <laughs> but it'll go it'll go over the pitch mark, then go through that gate, and then start curling to the left and probably go in because he's Tiger fucking Woods. But, uh, like, that's kind of the way he always thought about it, and that's the way I try to look at it, too. It's like I'll find a spot just in front of my ball that I know it's like get it started over that, and then it'll enter through this little gate up there somewhere. Once it goes through that gate, then it'll start working towards the hole. And then it'll enter on whatever. It'll enter straight in, or it'll enter at 9 o'clock, or it'll enter at 3 o'clock, depending on what the break is. Earl Woods, in a nutshell. You know, just master teacher, master womanizer, master creator of, you know, incredible human beings. I mean, what what a man. I mean, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. He, lived more, he lived more of a life than most, right? It's, yeah, no kidding, man. Wow, that's, uh, that's very, very interesting. I'd kind of forgotten about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be using the, uh, the, the little gate at the top of the break. And you know what? I'm also going to communicate that to my buddy Keel, see if it maybe helps him with his putting a little bit. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, Keel, I mean, the easiest, the easiest way to get good at putting is just to putt a lot. So Keel, hang out on the putting green for a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> Keel, get your life together, all right? I know you didn't think you were going to you know, come on blast on this podcast, but you thought wrong, my friend. You thought wrong. All right. Change the subjects here real quick. I have not had a chance to talk to you in so long. So much crap has been going on since we talked last, you know, the least of which is, you know, a global pandemic. And, you know, it, it has really thrown a wrench in this year's, uh, you know, this year's professional golf scene. And as one of my buddies that I think, you know, I, I go to, you know, I, I love hearing your take on professional golf about as much as anybody out there. Um, what's What's been your read with what's been going on, at least on the PGA Tour with the hiatus and then like these first couple tournaments back? I mean, just so, we'll, we'll dive a little more deep here, but I mean, just some of your first general thoughts and like general takeaways from what you've seen so far. Uh, I like what I've seen. And I, I think that this global pandemic is, uh, I think it's, it's like a top-down thing, right? I feel like it's the easiest to get the PGA Tour back and it's the hardest for the guys on like PGA Tour Latin America or China, right? Sure. Like those guys, or Canada, PGA Tour Canada, all those guys, all those guys are getting super screwed. Like they lost a season, you know? And those guys are trying to make a livelihood basically and they're trying to get to the PGA Tour and they're super screwed. So, but on tour, I mean, I'm fine with the no fans. I'm fine with the way the testing's going on. I'm fine with... All of that stuff, but those guys have essentially unlimited resources, right? Like any one of those big sports organizations, like, you know, you have the ability to test your players multiple times a week. You have the ability to, like, you know, make some money on broadcasting and advertising and all that stuff. You have the ability to get those guys out there to play and and showcase their skills, which is great. You know, I'm happy that they took the initiative to to get the tour back, and I'm happy that it seems to be going on without a hitch, and I'm happy that there hasn't been any major issues. You know, there's no... There hasn't been an outbreak where fucking where nine guys got it, you know, in one yeah. week or something. It's just been one here, one there, which, I mean, is is gonna happen. Like you have to you have to be okay with that risk, you know, and you have to accept that that's a very real possibility if you're getting people together. So, at the end of the day, I'm fine with what's going on on tour. It's fun to watch. Selfishly, I'm happy that it's on because I get to watch golf again, and I love watching golf. Um, so I think it's fine. I feel for the players in the developmental tours i feel for the guys on the web.com tour i feel for all of those guys because they're essentially having a really hard time making money anyway and now without the carrot at the end of the stick of the ability to maybe make it to the pga tour it's i know just in the conversations i've had with my with my friends who are on those developmental tours it's become like very um disheartening 
you know, a lot of a lot because they just don't know. It's just another year. It's just like another year washed, you know, and it's hard enough to deal with with a washed year when you don't make Q school. You know, when you miss at Q school, that's a really, really tough thing to deal with. But now to to have a year be a wash because of something that's not in your control. I know that that's something that a lot of them are really struggling with. Yeah. Uh, I, see, that's the thing is like you still hear stuff about the Corn Ferry Tour and how that's kind of, you know, they are managing to at least kind of, you know, still have some events and sort of keep that one going. But, you know, you, you make a great point that like the Latino America Tour, the McKenzie Tour up in Canada, like you don't really hear anything about those those right now. And those those have got to be the ones that have been hit the absolute hardest. I mean, is there a, they lost a season. They fully canceled it. They're not they're not playing anything. So they lost a whole year, man. They lost a whole year of, of playing competitive golf. Like, think about that a year of no competition like that's just going to add rust at the end a year of like no money dude a year of of year like that's 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 a devastating blow frankly for those guys it's it's not like the old days where they can just be like all right well i'll I'll go back to my home club and i'll just work as a head pro or you know like a golf professional for a year and be like i I don't even think that kind of stuff's available anymore especially with the economy the way it is you know jobs are hard to come by right now i don't think a lot of you know a lot of country clubs are getting some of those small business loans like they don't have money to burn on bringing a a developmental tour guy and to be an assistant pro for a year. So yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, man. It, I, ugh, and then on the web.com tour, like you said, they are hosting tournaments, which is great, but no, there's no promotion this year. So yeah. none of those guys, even if you finish in, excuse me, even if you finish in the top 25 or top 50, none of them are going to the tour next year. Like next year, they're going to be in the exact same position. So it's essentially a wash for them as well, but at least they're getting the ability to play competitively. At least they're trying to keep their skills sharp. But for some of those dev tour guys, it's, 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 I mean, dude, I, I, I'm I'm not envious of their position they're in. No. Let's just put it that way. No, the dev guy, I mean, the dev guy, you know, the caddies. You know, what I mean, that, that's the thing is, it, it, it's affected more than just the players too. Because I mean, oh yeah, man, it's it, it's rough. It, it's, it's very rough. rough. I know it's it. very very rough. But like, I am an optimistic person, so hoping for the best, praying like you know, remaining in a good state about everything. But like, also, I'm not affected. Um, in the worst way. So I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens. Um, I know it's similar for minor league baseball players too. minor league baseball players lost their seasons as well. So it's like, you know, as a consumer of sports, I'm happy that sports are coming back and I'm happy that I'm going to have the option to watch them. But as someone who's trying to make a career in sports, uh, not being at the highest level right now, it's really, that gap has never been further. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Right. Well, if we're we're talking about struggles on the developmental tours and guys that are you know you're just having a tough time right now, let's let's go to the opposite side of the spectrum for just just a quick moment. Um, how have you been enjoying the tour de Bryson so far since we've come back? I mean, the, the guy I, I I am firmly of the mind that Bryson might be the best thing that the PGA Tour has had in a long time, and I don't really like Bryson, but I think he is the non shithead heel that like Patrick Reed hasn't been able to like Patrick Reed's just so unlikable that like it, it's tough where Bryson can be likable but he's also kind of a jag so it's like I I don't know where to feel but it's compelling and I I want to know from somebody that is a much better study of the golf swing and all you know everything else like that than I am what how have you been enjoying this last month and a half of, of Bryson essentially kind of breaking a part of the sport I like your perspective of might being the best of Bryson potentially being the best thing that could happen to the tour because it's I mean it pains me to say it it's true you know like I I what he's done with his body and his golf swing is ludicrous 
ludicrous dude how many times like luke donald was the number one player in the world chased distance and where is he now you know like where is he now bryson chased a distance and is now on a trajectory to be the number one player in the world that is insane because uh i mean this is not my take i heard brandel chambly talk about it on the golf podcast the mm-hmm. subpar podcast which yeah. i've been really enjoying lately and he was saying that like yeah more careers die on the driving range than are than are born or reinvigorated on the driving range for sure and i was like that's such a good that's, that's such a, a good that's point a, that's a great take it's a great take and it's so true and bryson like is spent all this time on the driving range reinventing his body and trying to hit bombs and it's turning out to be insane and and incredibly beneficial for his career and and golf in general and and he's got he has this appeal to non-golfers like non-golfers really like bryson and i like hate bryson <laughs> and i and i com- i i compare it to i compare it to the raiders right like it's like i'm not a raider fan i'm a i'm i'm the only charger fan left on earth and and uh and I hate the Raiders because I've just always hated the Raiders. I grew up hating the Raiders. But I feel like if you talk to like non-football fans, it's like, oh, well, what teams do you root for? It's like the Cowboys or the Raiders. You know, like it's like those are the like maybe the Patriots have entered the conversation because of TB12. But like you see a lot of Raiders gear on non-football fans. You know, you see a lot of Raider gear floating around in the ether, and you're like, how is that guy a Raider fan? And and people hate the Raiders. Like a lot of people hate the Raiders. But man, the Raiders. People watch the Raiders. People like watching football because of the Raiders. You know, that whole, like, tough, like, hit them hard, like, take no names, take no prisoners type of attitude. The commitment to <laughs> excellence. Yeah. Like, you know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Davis says that that's what that's, it is. That's a different thing. But, like, Bryson's kind of the same way, right? He's the Raiders. He's he's he. Everybody hates him. Everyone D's on him. He knows it. He embraces it. And he's just out here doing the exact opposite of what golf is right he's he's just mashing it all over the place and winning and so it's like you can't you're allowed to dislike him and you're allowed to not but you you can't discredit what he's done because what he's done is is the like i mean i can't think of anything better like i can't think of anybody who's made a big transformation in such a short time that has paid off in such a big way like all in the matter whatever nine months dude like that's insanity if you look at videos of his swing in 2017 to now like i know there's those videos floating all around instagram it's insane dude he looked like me he's like six foot 140 in 2017 and now he's like all of a sudden he's six four 260 it's like i don't know what happened like his whole body changed the guy is a major league chonker right now like him him he has a very similar build right now to my 11 year old obese like tabby cat like yeah a- dude he's a thick Boy, dude. I, dude, like it's crazy, dude. I, by, by the way, I, I just have to acknowledge this one more time. Your Bryson is the Raiders of the of the PGA Tour take is maybe the best the best one I've heard so far. Like that that is so <laughs> spot on. Like it, it's like you can't look away. Like I say, it's like I don't like what I'm watching, and yet I can't look away because I can't take my eyes off it. I can't take. And, and the thing is, like I, I know you're you know you're of a similar mind to me on this kind of stuff. Like I. Long term, I don't think it's good for the sport. I, I think, you know, having somebody like, again, I love watching him off the tee, and yet I don't really like watching somebody hitting flip sandwiches into every hole. Like, that, that's not entertaining to me. So it's like, I, I want to watch him on the tee, and then I check out until I see him at his next tee shot. So I, I but again, I, maybe it's different for the more casual fans. I, maybe that's just the, the nerd inside of me. I, I don't know. 
casual fans are here for bombs, dude. Like, they're here for bombs. Like, they don't care if Bryson is defiling Colonial Country Club. Like, they don't, they, like, like, it doesn't matter to them. They're down to see bombs, dude. That's why there's a, like, Okay, like how is Long Drive still on TV, dude? Like I don't understand how the Long Drive is that that does defy logic. That that, yeah, that, like, that that one does not compute. How does that still end up on Golf Channel for hours at a time, dude? It's because the like, people who don't play golf love watching bombs, dude. And Bryson's doing that and winning. So, I mean, there's there's something to be said for that and attracting a new level of fandom to the PGA Tour. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Um, does that mean I have to get on board? No. I hope I hope JT like I hope him and JT end up in a playoff at the Masters, and I hope JT stomps his face in, dude. But oh, me too. that being said, if Bryson does win the Masters, like it's going to be impossible to argue that that's not great for golf, right? Like If Bryson wins the Masters this year, that is the greatest, one of the greatest things for golf that could have ever happened, you know? What, what, what is um, a better outcome for golf? Bryson winning the Masters, Tiger going back-to-back. Tiger. Tiger, Tiger, you didn't Tiger get my third option, but you've already yeah, got the right answer. Tiger cannot be on that same scale, because no. like, like they say, Tiger is the needle, so... Like Tiger always, but like, I mean, Bryson's making a strong case for for second place there. Like, Bryson's making a very strong case for second place there for sure. And and on top of putting on all the weight, which you know, a a lot, I think most of it, or at least a lot of it, is muscle. But it's very clearly not all muscle. I mean, the guy, the guy does have a little roll, you know, kind of you know, over over the top of his belt right now. And just, I mean, I I think it must be helpful though, just to have all that mass like on on your body just allows you to generate, but. It's not even that it's just that he's big and strong. His golf swing with that driver in his hand is so wild and like I don't it, it's not out of control cuz it's shocking how straight he hits that ball with his driver. But like when you see that whole left foot at, at follow through and like it, you know basically just completely come out of its place, it, like both of his like feet are turned like 90 degrees towards his target. I mean, he's just swinging out of his goddamn shoes and it's like is that sustainable? It has I think Okay, bright like when Bryson first came out on tour, whatever two or three years ago, whenever that was, like Tiger called him Rain Man because he was like so <laughs> cerebral and like just like oh, I'm gonna think my way around the golf course, like perfect golf swing, like physics. I'm a nerd. That was his whole thing when he first came out. So I think if he came to the conclusion that he can put on 40 pounds of muscle or mass, however you want to describe it, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's gonna be sustainable because I think his a his golf swing is fundamentally perfect. Right, he spent his whole life building a perfect golf swing and he's got to that point where he feels like he has it. So now it's just a matter of adding muscle and taking care of his body, which if you're a professional athlete, you're doing that anyway, right? You're eating good, you're sleeping good, you're stretching, you're you're like, you're doing like, if that's your job, then like you're, there's an unlimited amount of resources that you can do to make sure that you're doing all those things to the nth degree. For sure. And I have no doubt that he's doing that. So, I mean, dude, it doesn't look like he has any signs of slowing down. I, I, I can't, I can't, and I can't imagine he gets injured. If he sw- if his swing is as good as he says it is, and as good as it looks, and as fundamentally and fit like as fundamentally sound as it is, then a good golf swing doesn't get you injured, right? Like violent moves get you injured, yes. But if you're swinging in the right place, and you're even though it looks like he's exerting a lot of energy, if that energy that he's exerting is done really efficiently, then essentially it won't tax your body as much. So I don't know, man. I think there. I think it's. I think it's a very real possibility that Bryson does this for the next ten years. Yeah. Which would be and doesn't get injured, which would again set an incredible precedent for the sport, right? All of a sudden, knee and back pains like Tiger's issues or Jason Day's issues, all of a sudden those go out the window, and you start to see like a path to like, hey, if I do this correctly, there's a way for me to hit bombs and also not get injured. 
Yeah, like the, the the whole key to getting big and strong, we're learning has never been like actually getting like really big, strong, and buffed. It's just getting kind of big and fat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and what John John Daly's been doing it for decades. Why why why? why pull, would... <laughs> he can't get injured because he can't pull fat, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh it's fascinating, man. I, when I was uh, uh my friend Jess has been co-hosting with me a lot here these past couple of months, and you know, he's uh the assistant pro up at uh, at Benna Valley in Santa Rosa. And has been for you know a long time, and you know he's also the high school golf coach at the, at my alma mater, um, which he's been doing for a while as well. And I was you know I was asking him the same question. I was like, do you think this could have like a really bad impact on like your your players, like that they're going to be starting to try to chase distance and stuff? He's like, I guess maybe, but like as long as you have coaches out there that aren't complete jackoffs, like no, because I'm going to be looking at all my players and be like, oh that's great, you want to chase distance? I'll tell you what, go. Go make ten five footers in a row, and then then we can have a conversation. And I know that most of them are never going to be able to do it. Like it's like there's just too many other things that are actually attainable that you know coaches are going to try to reinforce that you have to get those down first. But something tells me, just like people love to watch people hitting bombs, people that are starting to pick up the game that don't have coaching, I worry that they're only going to be like, all right, I'm now now. I always wanted to hit the ball far, but now now I just want to pull up Bryson and just hit, just just go for it. And, I wonder how that's going to change or if it's going to change the developmental side of golf in terms of players getting introduced and, and learning the game from a young age. I, I I don't know the answer to the question. So I think I I think it might be a good thing. So when I was taking lessons a lot, I used to, when I was like 14 to 16, like a freshman to a, like a junior in, in high school, I, I took a lesson every two weeks because I was trying to get really good. I wanted to make my high school team. I wanted to play in college, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I would do one lesson a month with my coach and he literally told me to take my shoes off, uh, and swing as hard as I could for an hour on every club. And he was like, dude, he's like, you need to hit it far. Like if you want to play good, you need to hit it far and you need to be in balance. So take your shoes off. Don't rely on your shoes and just swing out of your shoes. And I would spend an hour hitting seven irons and just going hard, hitting drivers and going hard, hitting wedges and going hard so i'm doing it at, at the driver range later today you, you, you've just now given me the green light and i'm on god i'm, I'm the worst oh, god damn it. and he's all he, my coach told me he's like dude if you can learn to hit the ball good and hit it hard like come on like let's go let's do that so i think that will it attract more people who are gonna just try to hit bombs all day like yeah but golf has always done that right like there's always like there's always people that all they want to do is hit it hard but i think that if you're someone that's truly trying to be a player and be good I think that that trend of of needing to hit the ball long to be good has started even before Bryson. And does Bryson is Bryson going to be the poster child for that and has only reinforced that thought? Yes. But I think that that movement has been has been going on since I mean Tiger frankly started it, right? When he started yeah. working out and hitting bombs, like that's when the that's when it first started to shift, right? And there's golf will always attract like hockey players or baseball players who just want to hit the ball hard. Um but like that's not really going to affect development because those guys aren't going to try to be the best players they can be they just want to hang out with their buds and and hit bombs you know um, but on the developmental side i think we've already seen a trend going that way for the last 10 years of people just like hey you, like if you want to play on the tour you need to hit the ball long and there's always going to be a crop of kids who have dreams of playing on the tour and and those kids are always i think they're just going to be taught now to hit the ball hard and far like i was getting taught it 10 years ago you know 11 yeah. years ago like so it's been i think it's been in the works for a while and I think Bryson is now the the new like torchbearer for that is the new example for those teachers. But I don't I don't think that 
yeah, I don't think it's anything that's new, frankly. I mean, look yeah. at Matt Wolf for Colin Morikawa or John Rahm. Dude, John Rahm's only 23 or something or 24. People don't talk about that. Dude, that guy bombs it too. Like, all the young guys hit it far now, and you're and starting he, to see And that guy that. only brings his club back. Like, 70% of, you know, 70%. Like, I, I, Another John, thick boy. Another yeah. thick boy. John, John Rahm's golf swing it, it still, like, mystifies me how he's so good and doing what like, – it's just it's incredible. It's a, absolutely awesome. Now – we're about to go real far into the weeds here, and I, we're probably going to wrap this up relatively soon, Mister, because I don't want to keep you all day. I know you got you got stuff to do. You got a skins game to go play in here later today. So, um, do you, and, and this again, this is another conversation I've had on this podcast, uh, you know, with a couple people. So, apologies to those of you that are like, dude, did you just get off this? But I, I have to ask you because I haven't gotten your input on it yet. Um, do you think if this continues, this might be the, this might be what finally makes yes. the PJ Tour and the USJ consider some kind yes. of a rollback? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. One million percent. If this if this isn't it, then nothing is it. Right. And then we just have to get used to golf being that forever. Uh I don't like golf that. I I don't either. Ugh. But but okay, hold on a second. So th- this is this is how I think about that. Okay. I don't like it either. But I love watching the Warriors hit three pointers all day. So, and a lot of people say that what the Warriors did to basketball is essentially what Bryson is doing to golf. So, I was not a basketball fan until I got to college. A, the Warriors were really good. B, we could get tickets through USF very cheaply, so I would go because mm-hmm. it was something to do as a college kid. Sure. Um, and C, dude, three-pointers are tight. So, it's like, it's funny. Like, it got me into basketball. Yeah. I'm, I am now a lifelong basketball fan, and I wasn't even on my radar till I was 18, right? So is that net positive for basketball? Yes. They made a new fan. They got somewhat like I'll try to go to a Warrior game every year now, you know? Like when I am a dad and have kids, like I'm excited to take my kids to a Warrior game even if they suck, you know? Like just as something to do. Like they've created a lifelong fan out of me. If, so his- if-, if history repeats itself, my friend, don't worry. They will suck here pretty soon. And that, you're coming, that's coming from another lifelong Warriors fan. So you're, you're all good. <laughs> so here we are, you know? And so it's like... Like, if, if Bryson does that for golf, like, it'd be hard not to view that as a net positive. And if the and if the USGA and the PGA of America and all those organizations don't change the rules, then I think that that's exactly what's going to happen. And I think purists like you and me might not like it, but I think the general scope of people who watch golf might grow, which in theory is is a good thing. Yeah. So then, and then I'm just going to become an old man sooner, right? I'm going to be a 33-year-old old man who's like, back in my day, you had to think about the golf course. God, I can't wait to be that old curmudgeon. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> so I, I, so I guess, all right, so this is, a, this is a complicated question, although, you know, I, I just say that to make myself sound smarter than I really am. It's actually a very basic question. When people like watching Bryson hit bombs, do you think it's actually, is it the actual distance, like the yardage that he's hitting it, do you think that they're really into, or it's more just, watching him swing like that powerful and just watching him make contact like is it the actual yardage that turns people on or is it just the act of trying to mash that is appealing to people i think it's i think it's the act of trying to mash and the act of looking so average right like bryson doesn't look like he doesn't look like DK Metcalf, right? DK Metcalf looks like he was chiseled out of marble, like he's a Greek god. Goddamn you know? Adonis. Like, yeah, dude, he's like he's just he's a specimen, dude. He's sick. For Bryson, like you said it earlier, Bryson's got a little pudge going on. He's just a he's just a thick boy, you know. He's got a nice and little he, jelly roll, you know. Keep keep yeah. keeping it for later. And and like you see, you see Bryson's like 
finish and follow through. You see that on any Muni on any given day. You see someone out there trying to rip it, coming out of his shoes, like falling all over the place. So there's like a huge level of relatability there. So I think there's something to be said for like, hey, I don't have to have a perfect swing like Tiger Woods or a perfect swing like Adam Scott to hit bombs. Like I can do something. I can look like like ridiculous and swing out of my shoes and still hit bombs and I can still hit it 370. So I think there's something to be said for the fact that he looks like an everyman and hits it far. I don't think people are so caught up on the well no I think a lot of, I think people might be caught up on the fact that he hits the yardage but I think more so it has to do with the fact that it looks more like you yeah yeah because I guess that I I've I've argued with the, like some other buddies and guests about the podcast in terms of like when the rollback happens if or if it happens how would I like to see it instituted and it seems everybody except me is pretty much in agreement that the easiest and best and most effective way to do it is just to roll the ball back right Keep everything else the same. Roll the ball back so maybe it travels 10, 15% less, right? But so if they roll the ball back, you know, his golf swing is still going to be the same. He's still going to have an advantage over everybody in distance. And his, his golf swing, in terms of how powerful it is, is still going to look exactly the same. So if maybe he's doing that same thing where instead of hitting it 330 in the air, now he's back to hitting it 300 on the dot in the air. Is I wonder, is that really going to turn anybody off? I, I don't know. I think, I don't think the ball is the best way to do it. And this is another I I, take. I don't either. I, yeah, I I stole this take again from Brandel Chambly. So thank you, Brandel. Yes. But he was saying he's all like, Hey, you should uh you should just make drivers smaller. Imagine if they had to pay with like two hundred eighty CC drivers. That's exactly yes. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden misses become more penal and you can like all of a sudden it almost adds value to what Bryson's doing, right? Like let's say Bryson had a two hundred eighty CC driver or something it's like so small it, it's obscene. And he was still hitting it 370 in the fairway all day. All of a sudden, that manhandling of Colonial or that manhandling of the course they played in Detroit last week, which I can't remember the name of and I'm really, really sorry. Um, like the manhandling of that, if he hits a bunch of fairways and hits it 370, all of a sudden it becomes like a thing. It's like, dude, OK, this guy is actually freakishly good, right? Like like not to say that he isn't right now because he clearly is, but it almost like adds more weight and more gravity to what he's doing. Um, and you don't have to, t- like, the ball feels the same. You can still do things. Like, everything becomes like that. And on top of that, you also get the risk of catastrophe, which is fun. Like, we're here for it. Like, we still talk about John Vandeveld, like, collapsing at the 99 to open at Carnoustie, right? Like, we still talk about Phil Mickelson falling apart at Wingfoot. Like, as much as catastrophes suck to watch, it's also they're also great for a fan to watch. It so makes if, riveting television, I'll tell you it what. It makes riveting television. So if all of a sudden, like, the margin for error becomes like that, so, like, you know, if Bryson can hit a 370 bomb, but he can also duck hook at 55 yards because the face is so small and just be OB, like, then there's always that risk, right? So you know Bryson's going to try to cut the corner on 18 at winged foot, you know? So you're just, like, watching, like, oh, baby, is he going to put it in the hospitality tent like Phil did? Like, what's going to happen here? You know, it's, it's riveting. Well, right now you almost are guaranteed that it's going to be just in like the dispersion pattern is going to be very, very small. So if, I think if, if we can make that dispersion pattern bigger then that, that becomes more riveting. And it also is a good way to, to roll everything back. I'm mean, not roll everything back, but it's also a good way to like handicap the distance. Right. Cause then if you're having a bad week with the driver, it shows more. Well, right now, if you're having a bad week with the driver, nobody even knows like DJ had a bad week with the driver of the travelers. And like he still mashed it all over the place and won, you know. But he was—he had a couple squirrely ones coming home. He had a couple squirrely ones throughout the course of the week. But you just don't notice that. No, I honestly, man. I first of all, I mean, I loved you anyway. But now I really know why I fucking love you so much. I mean, like, <laughs> it, it all goes back for me to I think it was an article that Andy Johnson at the Friday uh, wrote. I want to say at the end of last summer. I remember reading it when I was in vacation or on vacation in Korea with my wife, and 
it was all, I think he had quotes from Tiger Woods and Adam Scott, some of the best ball strikers in the world, where they're kind of like, listen, when we grew up and throughout the history of the game, the longer the club, the more difficult it was to hit. And it was kind of that you're always weighing risk versus reward. Like, do I want to take the driver out? It's the hardest club to hit in the bag. But if I do it right, the reward is going to be huge. And it just, again, it gets back to the thinking game where, is it worth taking out the driver here? Do I want to give myself a little bit more, you know, a little bit more leeway, maybe hit, you know, three iron or hit a five wood. But now it's the exact inverse where the driver is now the most forgiving club in your bag. Then now you have hybrids up there for your long irons and to the point where for a lot of golfers, you know, the, the toughest <laughs> the toughest club in their back to hit now is fucking nine iron, which doesn't make any sense. It, it's completely backwards. And they're saying, you know, what's what all this technology has done, it's actually penalized the best ball strikers. The guys that had that advantage and knew how to find the club face on a tiny little, you know, on a tiny little club head, those guys no longer have an advantage. And and having a great technically sound golf swing and being a great ball striker has always been among the best things, you know, the best attributes you can have in a golf game. And that until they get that self-corrected and they, you know, they get it where the driver once again becomes one of the more challenging clubs to hit. And again, I think the best way to do it is just as you alluded to, just as Brandel said, is to make the club head smaller on the woods. To me, that's what makes the most sense because then you're not even sacrificing the distance. It's like, hey, you could still hit it 350 if you want to, but fuck, dude, you better find that thing right in the middle of the club face. Otherwise, a spectator is losing an eye. Like, that's the, 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 yeah. that, that, that's what you got. And I, I love that idea. And the one... The one thing that people always cite is, oh, the club manufacturers won't go for it. And my thought with that is always, why not? It gives them a whole new line of clubs to sell. Now they get to double the products or so. What are you talking about? Like, you, get, you can't tell me every good player, like any any single-digit player like we are, like is going to be like, fuck, I want to go buy like a small club to see how I stack up with the guys. And now I'm just now I'm going to have like my pro-like woods that I'll carry some rounds. I'll have my regular woods that I carry with some rounds. Like, it seems like a win-win. I, I just don't get how this hasn't got any any traction yet. Dude, baseball, you play metal bats at college level, wooden bats at the pro level. It's like, dude, I'm fine with – though there's already a difference between me and DJ, right? And I'm I'm a one-handicap, decent golfer, right? Like, but there's already – Just like, imagine how low you'd be if you could putt. Yeah, <laughs> goddamn. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, like, there's already, like, an ocean of difference between me and DJ or me and Rory, right? Like, I don't – I feel like a lot of those organizations are are caught up on the idea of, like – Golf is relatable because everybody who plays golf plays with the same thing that the pros play. So they're, you know, like it's it, that's one of the very few sports where we have that. So we need to keep the maintain that integrity. It's like, dude, there's no integrity there. Like DJ's a freak athlete and he's so much better at the game than I am. So like, by all means, like we're not playing the same game. Like, we're not playing the same game. We're not playing the same game. So if if you're worried about the relatability more than the obsolescence of the golf courses that are getting played, I think your energy is put in the wrong place. So I think that like if you if you handicap them in a way that allows golf courses to not be obsolete. When I go play Detroit Golf Club or when I go play Colonial, if I ever get the opportunity to, I'm not going to be hitting it in the same places as them. So I'm going to be strategically having to think my way around the golf course, and I'm going to have a blast doing it. So if you're want th- if you want them to do that, then roll it back, and then all of a sudden it becomes easier for me to watch because now I know oh DJ on 11 likes to hit four iron because you know he's not confident in his driver because it's right to left or whatever it is you know like. I don't know that it, there's a way for making that more relatable because right now it's not at all. And, and to think that it is and to think that you need to preserve that is is misguided. Yeah, that, that's so well said. I hadn't even considered that. But really, yeah, rolling it back is actually doing exactly what those people are saying is, you know, the one thing that, that why they shouldn't. It's like, no, no, mo- rolling it back makes it more relatable. That, that's so well said. I, 
You hit the nail on the head, brother. I, 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 I am afraid, though, that when the rollback does come, I should say, if the rollback comes because nobody has given me any indication that they have the nuts to do it, um, I, it, it, it seems like it's going to be the ball, but I hope it's not. I, I, I really hope it's not. Yeah, I don't want it to be the ball. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it should be the ball. I think it should be the clubs because the ball just feels weird. Like, okay, like once again, we both suck at golf compared to those guys. Correct. How mad do you get when you're at a range with limited flight golf balls? And it's like, dude, like I don't even. I don't even hit the ball anywhere near as consistent that like know that my eight iron carries one fifty five or whatever the number is. But if I'm like aiming at the one fifty stick and my eight iron keeps coming up short, I'm like, dude, these stupid balls, man, these limited flights. <laughs> like, because like that's just what we do, right? So, it, and it's like, man, I would be so mad if I had to go play a tournament with like a limited flight golf ball. And like, how weird would that be? Like, I don't know if I can carry those bunkers. I don't know where to aim. Like. I think that seems like a much bigger adjustment than just like, hey, keep everything the same, but make the sweet spot smaller. Make yeah. it less forgiving for them. Yeah. So then if they do hit it good, great. Bryson smashes it 370. But if you hit it bad, like like how great would it be to see Bryson top one? Not because I'm not rooting for Bryson, but like if the driver head's so small and all of a sudden Bryson cold tops one on 17 at Augusta, like I'm here for it, baby. Like I'm so in on that. And, and that's what it's like. I guess with Bryson, you know, with his big ass powerful golf swing right now, I mean, how reliant do you think his – you know, his strategy is that he's, that he's putting together is reliant on the technology being what it is. I mean, if Bryson all of a sudden gets like, OK, I, I was actually trying to figure out because I can't really look at a club head and give you like, oh, yeah, I know about how many CCs that is like. But if you go back and watch Tiger, you know, in 96, 97, you know, when he's first coming up and he's got the tiny little I, I think it's privatized. But you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the burner one, like the original, like tailor made, like metal wood. that's like, you know, only like maybe like, you know, the size of like a knuckle, maybe at biggest. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. mean, how how many CCs do you think that's like 180, 220, I I, I don't no know, yeah, but no what, whatever that is, like not much bigger than that. That's what I want to see. And like, if the yeah. club face is that small, how what what percentage of the bombs that Bryson's hitting straight in the fairway are still straight in the fairway? That's I, what made I Tiger's ninety-seven win so crazy, right? That's what made Tiger's ninety-seven win so crazy. They do shooting wedges and nine irons into par fives because he was just murdering that driver. He had a great week with the driver, you know. So it's like. And that became like you can appreciate that easier. So it'll be cool to see like, you know, what how much of that is actually reliant on Bryson. What if Bryson all of a sudden can't hit a fairway? Then it's like, okay, hold on a second. Bryson's going to start losing. He's going to start running instead of instead of going to the gym, you know, to lose that weight and get back to where he was. For sure. And and that's and that's one more thing about like if they ever do the rollback, why it would make so much more sense to roll back the clubs as opposed to the ball. Because like if amateur golfers, even guys that are like you and me that, you know, are, are still better than your average golfer. If all of a sudden someone put like a, a 200 cc driver in our hand, and all of a sudden we were trying to hit it, and we saw, and we we'd be like, "Holy shit! Like, how do these guys hit this? Like, I'd this be is shook. Crazy. I'd be just trying to put bat on ball. You like, know, I'd just be how... putting, trying to like just get it out there. Yeah, and it, it, all of a sudden it would be so much more relatable. You'd be like, "Holy shit! Like, these guys are so good. Like, how do they hit these clubs? Whereas now you're kind of like, "Oh yeah, like they hit a bombs. Like I hit a bomb once in a while. Like you know, that's you know." I, we're kind of, it's like I feel like there would be an even greater appreciation for how good they are if they roll those clubs back. Oh, man, the guy can dream, can he? Yeah, right. I hope I hope that that's the avenue they take, but we shall see. We shall see. Well, hey, man, before I, before I let you go, I got a couple just random random you know housekeeping issues I, I got to ask you about. I mean, really, not any housekeeping. They're just you know silly dumb questions I have to ask. Uh, amid all this quarantine stuff, I, I know you've been working on your, your house a lot. I, when I texted you this morning, you were out making a dump run, which I actually am about to do this afternoon myself. Been a uh, lot, lot of dump runs here in the last uh, last two years. You know, Homeownership requires many, many, many trips to the dump. Um, 
but we're in the middle of quarantine. What what have you been watching? Oh my god, dude! I okay, so I have. I, have I love been... I love this question by the way because everybody sees me so different, and I'm stoked to hear your answer. I'm gonna sound like such a loser, dude. I have not been watching much of anything because I I have like I have an issue where I I, I don't like sitting still because I feel like I'm wasting time, and I'm my like I'm always doing something so during the quarantine like the idea of watching tv made me i felt so guilty i was like oh i feel like i'm just a pile and like it's a issue with me like it's a me problem so i actually did a bunch of reading and i found this website it's like called raregolfbooks.com and dude they basically they basically like robbed me like i'm giving them all my money dude i've bought so many books i bought like all the confidential guides and i've just been like crushing the confidential guides dude. i bought like george c thomas's golf architecture in america i bought tom doak's little red book on golf course architecture like i literally have just been like crushing books dude um and then i watch old ufc fights which is hilarious also there's nothing wrong with that i was going through like a month long phase in the quarantine where i i made it a point to watch every single Ali and every single Tyson fight. No like, way. That's in, in order. Like I was like, I, th- these are the two guys, the two athletes I've heard more about from anybody else. I'd never was, I wasn't alive to really watch any of them. Like as an adult, like in their prime, like I want to go through the catalog, start with their earliest fight and like go watch their careers, like start to finish and like, just see and see what I think. Cause you know, that's always like an age old debate. Like, you know, who do you think would win in a fight? You know, prime Ali or prime Tyson. And you know now, like I've kind of feel like I'm a little bit more in the zeitgeist. I, 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 if somebody asked me who I thought would win, I would have an opinion. You know, and it's, it's, it's. I don't. That that was very fun. I, I will say this: your whole, you know, reading and you know, educating yourself thing, I find to be incredibly annoying because that's what we all wish we were doing right now, and we're all way too big of pieces of shit to do it. It's just so much easier to lay on your couch and get high and watch TV. Yeah, of of course, dude. And like, it's not to say that I didn't do it. Like, I did. I did watch all of the Last Dance. Now that I think about it, and I did watch all the two pieces of the Lance documentary. I okay. like. I like. So I got down on those. Um, but like, I even I tried to watch a few shows. I tried to watch Hunters, but like it didn't grab me. I tried to watch uh, Watchmen, but that didn't grab me. So it's it wasn't without effort, and it was partially my fault too. I was just like, dude, I can't. I can't just sit here. <laughs> yeah I mean, do you want you want to get a good laugh do you want to hear maybe the loseriest answer that, that it, if somebody asks you know another person hey what have you been watching in the quarantine i may in fact have the single most just sad pathetic answer of all time i'm i don't i'm, I'm gonna say it out here on this podcast love is blind please tell me you watch love is blind i, I am not watching love is blind that, that is right. a bridge too far uh <laughs> as a man that's never watched this show in his adult life uh because i am desperately missing sports right now uh I've started watching Survivor, like old old seasons of Survivor, like and it is really it's it's really satisfying. My it is bad reality television that I'm just admittedly kind of really enjoying. I, I, I feel bad saying it, but oh, it's so satisfying. Dude, I okay, I never got into Survivor. I've never watched a series of Survivor, but I might have to get down with it or a season of Survivor. I might have to go check it out just because I'm into that stuff too. On on that same vein, yeah. Another friend, uh, not friend, but another guy that we both like to digest his content mr joe rogan had that guy jordan i don't even know his last name who won that show alone do you know anything mm, about this so I, my, my my folks actually watch alone like religiously they love it i watched the first episode last night while i was laying in bed on netflix fell asleep before it was over but i'm i'm pretty in dude i was like all right this is this seems this seems pretty cool it's it's intense and like i, I will tell you this if you're if you like alone you'll hate survivor okay. because <laughs> 
They're so. I mean, maybe you'd probably like the like early survivor because an early survivor, you know, it actually is very much you know like surviving out in the wild. You know, like you know, forming a coalition of people, like trying to work together. Whereas, like the last twenty five seasons of Survivor, they've like pushed the whole survival part of it like off to the side, and now it's pretty much just like you know strategizing, like you know forming alliances, backstabbing people. It's 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 now much more like reality television than it used to be. But admittedly, like I really enjoy it, so I mean, I'm I'm not complaining. But uh, you know, early Survivor and alone maybe. But uh, yeah, alone. If if you actually like watching people, you know, try to survive in the wilderness, it's a it's a much better option than uh, than CBS's reality uh, television property. But it goes by the name of Survivor. Not 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 a great survival show, despite the name of the program. Just just, just throwing it out there. Um, Woo, man, that's awesome. Of all the golf books you've been reading, what's uh, what's the one that stands out? If if I asked you, Christopher Durr, give me one golf book that you've read uh, during the quarantine that you would highly recommend me go seek out and find. What uh, what's your go to so far? Okay, I wanted to give it a pause because I have to piss so bad. So I'm going to go piss That's really fast. Think on it for Stop. a second. I'm, I'm going to talk to the people here. i got an ad read I'm going to do, so you just go ahead and do it. Perfect. Beautiful. So while Christopher is going to use the banyo, uh, I want to talk to you guys about the Sea Winds Estate. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the Sea Winds Estate is a vacation rental out on the Oregon coast about 10 miles north of the Banana Dunes Golf Resort. That is, and this is this is my, you know, this is, you know, this is my take on it. It's ab absolutely butter like i when i shared it with my normal co-host jess and i sent him the link he just texted me back holy sea winds and uh <laughs> and, it, and he's not wrong man. this is like a crazy seven thousand square foot um vacation rental that just sits on the bluffs overlooking the pacific ocean incredible views um i think it's got maybe almost 14 beds so if you got a group of golfers that's like 12 to 16 people and you guys are thinking about going to Bannon Dunes and maybe playing a round or two of golf outside the resort, there may not be a better spot. And on top of that, despite how fantastic it is, um, if you are going with a group of 12 to 16 people, it's somehow probably cheaper than actually staying on the resort at Bannon Dunes. In fact, I know it's cheaper um, than staying at the resort at Bannon Dunes. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible, man. I know it was like uh, this place... There was kind of like a, it was a local legend for the longest time where people were thinking like, oh, there's this mysterious estate out on the coast. Like, I think it's owned by Brad Pitt's mom. Like, I don't really know anything about this, but that is not accurate. It's just this buttery, cushy estate 10 miles north of Bannon Dunes that you can go rent. Um, and by now I was talking to their owner. They don't have a ton of availability left. Um, for this summer, but if you're thinking about going in the fall, the winter, or looking for next year, they're already taking res- reservations. All you got to do is go to cwinds with an s at the end estate dot com. dot com. It is the jewel of the Pacific, and I'm telling you, even if you're not a golfer, if maybe you want to have a small wedding or just have like a corporate event or something like that, it is a perfect spot to do it. Check out the Sea Winds Estate at cwindsestate dot com. And now, my good friend Christopher Durr is back from the Banyo. I was just telling people about this cushy estate out on the Oregon coast that I think uh, we might have to congregate out here pretty soon for, for a little uh, Oregonian golf trip. Not mad at it, dude. Not, not mad at it. Not mad at it. Uh, have, as you're using the bathroom, were you thinking about your which golf book you, you would most recommend to myself and the listeners out there? Uh, I did, and I have two. Two is I, fine. I, I, I'm, I I'm not going to limit you. If you want to give me two or three, that's fine as well. If you know nothing about golf course architecture and want to learn, Tom Doak's Little Red Book is the way to go. Okay. It's written very similar to Harvey Penick's Little Red Book of the Golf Swing. I can't even remember what it's called. Yep. But uh, 
super similar, very digestible, gives you like quick little things of like, hey, like this is what you should look for in that. This is what you should look for in this. This is what you should look for about that stuff. And then for someone who wants to take their knowledge of so for someone who wants to take like the capstone class of golf course architecture, George mm-hmm. Thomas's golf course architecture in America is incredible because it's got a bunch of examples of courses that you a have probably played if you're someone that cares about golf course architecture or b can go play easily. A lot of those golf courses focus on or a lot of those books focus on golf courses that a lot of times you don't have access to or are in Scotland or uh, Ireland, which you just can't get to very easily or accessibly and you'll get to miss. Mm -hmm. Um, And then George Thomas specifically did a lot of West Coast golf courses, did a lot in Santa Barbara, a lot in L.A., a lot in the Bay Area. So it's all of a sudden you're looking at things and you're like, oh, my God, that's an hour and a half away from where I'm sitting or that's, you know, four hours away from where I'm sitting. So all of a sudden it like kind of took you to the next level. And then also, he, I mean, he did a bunch of courses on the East Coast too. So I'm, I'm sure if you're an East Coast listener or reader, you could do this. You'll have the same feeling of like, oh my God, that's right down the road. Oh, sure. that's right. Like I can, I can go see that and, and learn something and at least see what he's talking about. So um, those are the two that I would recommend for sure. Like no doubt about it. Um, I think those books are awesome and I had a lot of fun reading them. I love it. Uh, Love it. The Little Red Book is uh, on my nightstand right now. I've been thumbing through it and, and, and really enjoying it. And uh, based on your recommendation, uh, Mr. Thomas's uh, book is about to be purchased and uh, put right in the library as well. That sounds great. It's great, dude. A lot of pictures, too, which is fun. I'm a picture book guy. That <laughs> is. Dude, you, you're Mr. Bay Area, though, and I wanted to talk to you about a little something. What do you sure. know about Tom Doak's project up there? Uh, Tom Doak's project in Lake County, the Maha Project? Yes. I So I don't know a whole lot. It's still really, really far away from, from happening. I mean, they're still very much like trying to get permits and stuff like that. Um, of course. I know Gotta I— Gotta love California. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very difficult. What's crazy is that this is more or less the second time that he's pretty much attempted to do something within like a five-mile radius that's similar to this. So um, you, you had a chance to play it in the Springs at one point. Did, did I did. You know? I did. I did play it in the Springs one time, and it was incredible. It's incredible. And, you know, when they were originally putting that project together, um, so that Edna Springs, after the Tom Doak redo, opened, I think, in 2006, 2007, somewhere right around there. And the plan was for that to be kind of like the family nine-hole course that was right there on the resort. And they were going to build an accompanying, like, 18-hole, like, championship length in parentheses, like, you know, a full-length 18-hole golf course that was going to be about two miles away up the road. Uh, which coincidentally is now going to be about two miles away from where this project is happening, right? Okay. And the city or the county of Napa basically put the kibosh on it. They could never get the permitting um, that they needed. You know, just basically that fell through, and all of a sudden, 2008 happened. Money dried up, and basically that whole project, essentially over the course of a few years, from a few different factors, got scrapped. But this new project is only a couple miles away up the road. But the big difference is it's out of Napa County, and it's into Lake County. Lake County a much more economically depressed area than Napa. I mean, compared to Napa, almost every county is economically depressed. But, yeah. you know, they're they're a little more lenient. They're a little more open to projects like this, you know, in the hopes that it's going to bring some more, you know, economic activity to the area. And so I think they're hoping that because this new project is in Lake County, it's going to have a much better chance of actually coming to fruition than that Lake Luciana project was, which is what it was called. But this new one is... It's basically going to, supposed to be a master development where they're going to have like, I mean, I don't even know how many tens of thousands of acres this whole thing is going to be, but it's going to include a Tom Doak 18-hole golf course. It's going to include like several different like, you know, small boutique hotels 
with different themes scattered around the property. It's also going to have like residences. It's going to be like a whole community, basically. And the 18-hole course that Doke is designing um, is supposed to be, I mean, if it ever happens, will be really cool. The big defining characteristic of it is that it starts and finishes in two completely opposite areas of the resort. And so I think the first tee and the 18th green are supposed to be a couple miles away from one another. <laughs> like it just, it starts up and basically just makes its way like down a hill. And the the way that, it, the way he explained it on an interview that I heard. So I was doing research for it, uh, for an article I wrote in this year's magazine. And I was kind of like looking into it probably from, you know, September through January-ish of this last year, getting ready to write my article so I could submit, you know, for, you know, for February for our magazine. And I saw Andy Johnson on Twitter, I think on like the beginning of January, uh, put a thing like, hey, I'm sitting down with Tom Doak. Uh, we're going to do a little Q&A. Let me know if you have any questions. And so like, I was like, hmm, ask him what he knows about the Maha Project. <laughs> I, need, I need all the details. Well, apparently he did, but he didn't release the podcast until like three weeks ago. Yes. I remember hearing the podcast where so, he talked about it a little bit. And if you heard the podcast, you know, he goes, uh, and Golf Guide writes, uh, what's the deal with the Maha Project? And I was thinking to myself, man, I wish he would have aired this like four or five months ago. That would have been useful. But essentially what Tom Doak was saying on the interview is that, like, as I was mentioning, there's going to be kind of different themes around the resort. And he thought it would be cool to start one place and then be able to finish it in the other. Because there's going to be so much transport throughout there with like shuttles and everything like that. You're not really going to need your own car per se like in this, you know, in this complex. So wouldn't it be cool if you could like go to one part of like the community tee off and then like finish and have lunch or somewhere in like a different part of the community like that that that's a really that that's a cool concept that the owners there were really on board with so that's that's going to be kind of the key defining feature of the golf course that differentiates it from everything else um and so it's supposed to be really cool they have enough room where if this thing ever comes to fruition they'll have room to build another course although as doke said in his interview like the owners there aren't really huge fans of like golf per se like they don't want to build golf resorts um, so who knows if there will be a second golf course on that particular property that gets built, but if there are golf junkies there, um, then luckily there appears to be a really kick-ass Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw course that's being built two miles away from that middle town. That's already, no bro- way, really? that's already broken ground, my friend. I didn't know about that one. That's news to me. That's very exciting. Yeah. So that, that project is the Brambles. It's, it's called Brambles. Um, ha- have you driven through Lake County much before? No, no, I actually, I don't know it particularly well. I, uh, I went, like I said, I went to Etna Springs one time, uh, I've been to Yokodihi, but I don't know what county that's in. Yeah. Um, Yochadihi would not be Lake County. So if basically, if you were to drive up through Napa Valley all the way up North and then like cut over on highway 20, that's, that's how you get to Lake County. I mean, for yep. anybody that lives in the city, just think Lake County is an hour and a half to two hours Northeast, right? North, <laughs> North of Napa east of Sonoma and like Mendocino counties. So it, okay. it, it's, it's kind of far out there. Um, but you know, it's still considered, you know, part of like the wine country, you know, even though it's kind of like the more like methy side of the wine country, a lot of people that live in Napa and Sonoma kind of like turn their noses up at like Lake County, which is kind of a bummer because Lake County is a beautiful place, but like the lake itself is a great place to go for like 4th of July's and long weekends, go boating and you know, all that kind of stuff. And what lake is it? It's called Clear Lake. Clear Lake, okay. Clear Clear Lake in Lake County, and um, it, it's huge, dude. Massive, massive, massive uh, body of water. and But it's also really the only place in the Bay Area now, aside from like Mendocino County, which is way, way up there, that real estate's not essentially completely like unaffordable for everybody. Um, 
Thank you, Matt. Yeah, that mean, yeah, thank you, exactly. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> th- I mean, but I mean that that is a big part of it. It's it's hot as fuck in Lake County. Like it, the temperatures are more reminiscent of what you find in the Central Valley than it is of what you find in the Bay Area. So that's another reason why you know real estate prices up there aren't you know quite what they are in the Bay Area. The population density is obviously way lower. Uh, it's got a more of a country kind of vibe to it. But in like Middletown, which is one of you know the more I guess recognizable cities if you can call it a city more towns um in lake county they have like a little glider port out there that you drive by all the time if you're going back and forth between the valley and sonoma county and um yeah bill core ben crenshaw put a layout they've broken ground it's supposed to open up next year a walking only like you know i mean I, i i did have an opportunity to talk with their project manager and the owner the owner is a East Coast guy, a New York guy who is a member at you know some pretty kick-ass like clubs back there, and he is of the mind like, listen, I want to build something like that in California because you know I, I like going out there. I feel like Northern California, for how much golf it has, doesn't really have any truly like elite like clubs aside from like the handful of private ones that most people can't go play. And I want to build something like a walking only, like really kill. I basically I want to build like a I want to build like a friar's head that's not as like as exclusive and you know as but out out on the west coast and I think that's what they're going for. Um, they don't have a piece of property that's nearly what you have at friar's head, so I'm sure it, you know something like that isn't going to end up being the case. But um, if everything goes well, it should be if if they end up doing what they are planning on doing and they execute it the way they want to execute it, I wouldn't be surprised if it almost immediately becomes a, you know a top twenty course in in California. I mean, it, it, it's going to be that good. That's super exciting. I love to hear that. I love to hear the development going on. I love to hear of new places that I can go check out and play. I love the mentality behind the whole public thing. So once again, my my optimism is coming through. So I'm I'm excited for it all, and I hope it uh I hope it ends up being what what everybody says it is. Me too, man. Me effing too. That would be the best. Um, shoot, man, this has been awesome. I I feel bad. We've been what, shooting the shit here for like an hour and forty minutes uh, already. I, I don't want to take too much of your time, so I. I feel like I kind of have to let you go, even though I don't want to. But um, I, I guess I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here since we're still recording. Did, can I get you back to preview, like maybe a, a major championship that may or may not be happening in a month or so? Yeah, I'm always available, my man. I would love to come back on. This was really, really fun. I always love talking golf with you. Uh, I love talking Thick Boy Bryson. I love talking all the stuff. So I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you giving me the time of day. And, uh, yeah, man, I always, always enjoy it. So thank you. Beautiful. Absolutely. Ren. You got it. And, uh, I will look forward to hopefully talking to you again. If that's the case in a couple of weeks, I may even try to get uh, local San Francisco legend and host of the butcher shop, Joe Shasky on, maybe the three of us can do a three man weave, uh, for like a PGA championship preview of some kind. I mean, he's been so kind to bring us onto his radio show, you know, s- several times that, uh, we might as well return the favor. I would love to talk to Joe. I'd got to play golf with that guy. Next time we're up there, we got to go play yes. with him. Yes, the next time you're up here, let's let's definitely get around with uh, with Joe, and we'll we'll have a good time. All right, Christopher Durr, you are the man. Thank you very much for your time, brother. Really appreciate it as always. No worries, peace, dude. All Take right. care. Later, man. Awesome, 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 awesome. Thanks again to Chris for uh, a really fun podcast, and to all of you out there looking to play some golf this weekend, do not forget to visit golfguide.net. Uh, we've got dozens of golf courses for you to choose from at a, uh, a very nice little discount that you can enjoy. And when you use the promo code GGPODCAST at checkout, you get to save yourself an extra 10% on the already discounted golf vouchers that you can find there on golfguide.net. So 
Uh, that's it for this week, everybody. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week, a very safe weekend. Uh, hopefully uh, it involves a little bit of golf. And until next time, adios. Adios.